Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, warriors for the truth. Thank you for listening to this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Exciting guest today. The topic is discernment and discerning truth from error. As Charles Spurgeon says, uh, discernment is not always a matter of telling right and wrong. I'm paraphrasing. He says discernment is a matter of uh, telling what is right from almost Right. We'll get to that in our special guest, first-time guest, in just a minute. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us hope. Even when we wake up tired and weary, maybe uh, battle-weary from the spiritual battles around us, maybe our physical health is not what it should be. Well, Lord, we thank you that though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And we thank you, God, for the promises that we have in Christ of your return, Lord, and we look forward to that, anxiously awaiting the return of our blessed hope, of our great God and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for that hope that is an anchor to our soul. And we lift up this hour to you. We pray that you give us discerning hearts and open hearts to what you want to speak to us and uh, help us to be informed and challenged and moved to action, whether that be prayer for our own lives, our, our church family, our brothers and sisters, our country, our, uh, the evangelism that needs to take place before um, so many people are just heading down that wrong path, Lord, and it's up to us to warn them, and it's up to us to share the gospel that they may be saved. Um, we lift up this day to you. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Um, again, we recognize the truth that great is your faithfulness, and you give us everything we need for life and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. There is nothing new under the sun. False teachings and unbiblical movements have been around since the founding of the Christian church, really the early church. Uh, Peter, Jude, Paul, even Jesus warned. And we are warned in Scripture over and over to watch out for false teachers. But today's church has been infected with different teachings and movements. Too many believers have accepted some of these ideas because they sound good. They do offer false hope. On the surface, it might look good at first, but they leave people deceived and empty. It's easy to fall into deception, but few understand the underlying spiritual dynamic going on. It's a war against the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deceivers have crept in and slithered through American denominations and other churches, infecting countless people. Some are subtle in their approach, while others are blatantly heretical denying the deity of Jesus Christ, always promoting compromise, it seems. Today's guest, Holly Pivik of Spirit of Error Ministry. She's an evangelical researcher of cults, sects, and new religious groups, such as the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. She has a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Holly is the author of several books, including A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response, to a worldwide movement, and she has written articles for numerous print and online publications, including Biola Magazine, The Christian Research Journal, and Apologetics Index. Holly Pivik, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, thank you so much, David. I'm I'm so uh, thrilled to be on your show this morning. Well, thank you for getting up early with us. You are in Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, so you're three hours uh, behind. Um, so thank you. I know you've ha- you've had your coffee. I would love for you to share. You were in Biola. You were working at. You went to Biola, and then we're working at Biola. And then your husband, being an associate pastor, and yourself, uh, you guys moved to Alaska. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey there in Southern California and your background? Yes. So I I did. I got a couple of degrees there at Biola. My master's degree, like you said, in Christian apologetics, and I worked in the uh, marketing office there for about a decade and was the managing editor of Biola Magazine there. And that actually was when I first 
learned about the new apostolic reformation movement, I, I received an email from one of our magazine readers um, talking about this movement that was taking over churches in our city, and she was very concerned about it, and she was looking for a professor maybe at Biola, someone who would be willing to, to write a book responding to this movement and its teachings and to show where they went off uh, from Scripture. And so when I, as I was reading her email, as the editor of this magazine, I received the email, and, um, and I was reading it, and it caught my attention because I uh, had never heard of this movement before, and I, I you know, researched cults and aberrant groups. And so I started doing my own research, and that's when I discovered this movement and how large it was and how many churches it had impacted and mm. infiltrated. But so that's, that's when I was there at Biola, and then... After uh, being at Biola, my husband accepted an offer to work at a church in Fairbanks, Alaska, and um, it's a it's a good sized church for this region, probably between six and seven hundred people. And um, so we've been here for about the past ten years with our our daughters, and uh, enjoy living here very much. Wow. Um, I know it's beautiful there, but I know it's cold. And by the way, I woke up today. It's zero. <laughs> Zero. We didn't even have a degree today. It was that cold, but when we got a snowstorm yesterday, but it was nice. I like the snow. I'm weird that way. But Holly, um, did you know Michael Gonzalez at Biola? Yes, yes. I definitely knew Mike and interacted with him quite frequently. Awesome. In, He's in a friend of ours. There. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and, uh, oh neat. <laughs> and I know um, a couple of the Living Waters Ministry uh, guys, uh, Mark Spence, I think, and... Uh, Easy, Emil, Zwayne. I think they both went to Biola, correct? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not. You're probably right about that. I, I don't know them personally. Well, great men of God, great ministries. And like yours, you've got an, a discernment ministry, which, you know, if, if you and I were to be honest, maybe we would say uh, we wish that so many discernment ministries were not needed today, particularly in America. But the truth is... They are, and we we need more of them. But yours is Spirit of Error. Um, that's an interesting name for a discernment ministry. I would love for you to share a little bit about when you started it and what uh, made you decide on that name, Spirit of Error. Yeah, so I think it was about 17 years ago when I first started my blog, and as I was thinking, looking for a name uh, for my blog, I came across uh, this passage in 1 John 4, and uh, 1 John 4 starts off uh, 4-1 with, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but mm. test the spirit to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then later, a little bit later, just a few verses later in 1 John 4-6, it says, We are from God. And in context there, uh, the we being spoken of is John, an apostle, and in the circle of apostles, and those who who held to the apostles' teaching. So it says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the point being here, and, and the application to my blog, is that um, the test for knowing whether a teaching is from God or not is to see if it lines up with the apostles, the original apostles' teaching, because they were the ones that, that Christ personally chose and appointed to be his eyewitnesses mm-hmm. and and to carry forth his message um, in faithfulness. And, and uh, after, you know, after Christ's uh, death and resurrection, and so we are to always look at any teaching and see how it lines up with the original apostolic teaching, not in a Roman Catholic sense of the term apostolic uh, tradition, but in the sense of the apostles were entrusted with um, Christ's message, his teachings, and to communicate those faithfully uh, and to, to pass those on and record them in Scripture. And, and so we're to always look to their teachings. And so a number of people are rising up today who are calling themselves apostles. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the real test of if they're apostles or not is to see how their teachings line up with the teaching of the original apostles. We're going to talk about that because I, I've been uneasy for years 
of someone that says, uh, hi, who are you? Hi, I'm, I'm apostle such and such. Well, to give yourself the label of apostle, wow. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the NAR, but I, I want to just refer to Jude, who writes, uh, we just talked about this in church yesterday. He said, beloved, well, I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And certain persons have crept in uh, to the church. Um, I want to talk about once for all handed down to the saints, because you mentioned the Catholic Church, and they use that argument that they are carrying on the teachings and the authority of the earliest apostles and disciples of Christ. But as we know, a lot of their teachings are based on the traditions of men and on things that are not found in Scripture. Could you talk a little bit about that for our Maybe uh, we have maybe a lot of listeners that have come out of Catholicism, um, Holly, and just mention there's their distinction there. There has to be for the faith, the teachings that were once for all handed down to the saints. Well, the so so as I kind of mentioned a little bit ago, the Christ personally appointed twelve men to act as his representatives, men who had walked with him through his entire earthly ministry. Uh, from his baptism all the way to being eyewitnesses of him after his resurrection. And, of course, uh, Judas defected but was replaced by Matthias. But, and, then, and then later, the Apostle Paul, he was late arriving on the scene. We learn in 1 Corinthians 15 that he also was an apostle, um, equal in stature to the Twelve, and in authority and was personally appointed and commissioned by Christ as an apostle, but he was he was an exception. He was one who had not walked with Christ through his entire earthly ministry, but but he received a late appearance from Christ and was an exception to that, and was was also endorsed by the twelve um, as an apostle. And so and so these these were the original apostles who held uh, an office that that was appointed by Christ, and um, and. Their role was to, to to make sure that the things he did and said and taught were were faithfully communicated and passed on, and um, and then as they were growing older and realized they would be passing soon, uh, dying, um, they never made provisions any provisions for appointing new apostles or successors to their office. The provisions they made were for pastors and, and elders uh, to um, to be the leaders of the church. So no provisions were ever made for new apostles to be appointed or for any type of apostolic mm-hmm. succession like you would see in the, the Roman Catholic Church. And and so that's why for for all these years, for 2,000 years, you know, you, you don't see people recognizing generally that there is an office of apostle— and not even Roman Catholics recognize an office of apostle in the sense that the people in the New Apostolic Reformation do. The people in the New Apostolic Reformation um, believe that that there are literally thousands of apostles <laughs> <laughs> in cities throughout the earth, um, and and claim that these apostles are receiving new divine revelation from God that um, the Church needs. It's critical to fulfilling its mission on earth. And so, so even what they're claiming, uh, in a sense, it goes beyond what the Roman Catholic Church claims. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. We are with Holly Pivik of Spirit of Error, a biblical response to the modern prophets and apostles movement. Now, Holly, you have several books out, um, and there, I'm sure there's so much impossible to condense in less than an hour, but... Your recent book is God's Super Apostles, Encountering the Worldwide Prophets and Apostles Movement. And then the one that we mentioned uh, when we introduced you is A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. That came first. So I know you put the research into that and the movement and their teachings, which we will kind of dissect in a little bit. We'll go through some bullet points of what they believe. But then you came out with your uh, the book, I think, a year or two ago, God's Super Apostles. Can you really give us kind of like a, a rundown of what that book includes? Right. So so really, the larger book, A New Apostolic Reformation, um, that book is the really 
thick book that is heavily documented that um, really goes into great detail explaining the teachings of the New Apostolic Reformation leaders and and documents where those teachings can be found in the original their original books and source materials, um, and and really evaluates uh, those teachings um, point by point and to see how they line up with scripture and with careful reasoning. God's Super Apostles is a much more concise book. It's kind of like the the introduction to a new apostolic reformation. Sometimes we refer to it as the 101 <laughs> book, and the other book is the 201. Okay. And it it also includes um, stories of how people have been harmed by this movement, and there are mm. several appendices which address questions like, oh, after reading this book, I think I might be attending a new apostolic reformation in NAR church. Uh, what do I do about that, mm. or how do I talk to my loved ones who are caught up in these these false beliefs. And so it has a lot of really, God's Super Apostles contains a lot of really practical advice for people who who um, want to know how to respond to this movement, how to spot a church who may be part of this mo- movement, those type of real practical issues. Thank you. Um, do you name names? Because some people like to know, well, there are some very popular uh, men and, uh, quote, apostles in America that are a part of this, and some deny that they are. Some deny that uh, they follow the teachings. Right. Yes, we definitely do name names, and um, uh, that's important to do um, because a lot of most people, actually, even people in the New Apostolic Reformation movement, have never heard that term, New Apostolic mm-hmm. Reformation. Yes. So it's not enough to say, you know, are you a part of the New Apostolic Reformation? They might say, what are you talking about? Um, that. So, so, but when you start saying things like, have you heard of Bill Johnson, uh, the <laughs> apostle at Bethel Church in Redding, California, or Mike Bickle, um, an NAR leader at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Lou Engel, uh, who has led a lot of stadium-sized uh, prayer and fasting events, um, Cindy Jacobs is a big prophet in this movement, mm-hmm. um, Randy Clark is a, is a well-known apostle, Heidi Baker is affiliated with this movement. When you start naming these names, then the lights go on for mm-hmm. a lot of people, and they say, oh, yeah, I've definitely heard of him or I've heard of her, and and that helps people start connecting the teachings. Yes. Um, now, a couple of the teachings, or the beliefs, I should say, um, are experience, the emotion, the, the move of the Holy Spirit. They interpret what uh, might be emotion as a move of the Holy Spirit, mysticism over doctrine, modern-day apostles— um, new revelations and the role and power of spiritual leaders and miracle workers. Um, can you grab any any one of those or one of the most important, maybe one of the most common beliefs or teachings of the NAR and just kind of explain a little bit for our audience? Sure. So the goal of the leaders in this movement and the people in this movement is they bring, believe it's the Church's task to bring heaven to earth, uh, or to bring God's kingdom, his physical kingdom, to earth before Christ returns. And um, they would say that that's actually the Great Commission, and that as a church, we failed at that. We have not been able to accomplish that for the past 2,000 years. Um, but the key to bringing God's physical kingdom to earth is Christians throughout the world need to be working miracles, um, unprecedented miracles, uh, even greater miracles than Jesus and the apostles worked. This has to be happening uh, throughout the earth at an unprecedented scale. Hmm. And um, when these miracles are being performed, then nations will be wowed and awed by these miracles, and entire nations will convert to Christ, and they will bring God's kingdom. God's kingdom will come to earth. But the problem is Christians can't work these miracles unless they have new revelations. The new revelations are the key to working these miracles. And the new revelations can't be given unless we have apostles and prophets, because uh, they are the ones God has authorized to to give these new revelations. Well, the Church has been without, they would say, without apostles and prophets for, for the past 2,000 years, so they need to be restored. And once they're restored um, and they're ruling in churches, they need to hold the highest governing offices in the churches. That's key above even pastors and elders, and once they're in place, then they can bring their new revelations, 
And um, these revelations will teach Christians to all learn to work miracles, and then God's wow. kingdom can be brought to earth. So that that's kind of an overview of the teachings in a nutshell. And it kind of um, also there's an overemphasis on spiritual warfare because if you're talking about new revelations and you're focusing on the spirit and the miraculous, right, signs, wonders, then you you've kind of got to set scripture aside and talk about you know how what man can do. And really quick, we're going to take a break. In fact, we we're going to take a break and come back. I I want to ask you if um, it sounded like you began describing what might be known as kingdom now theology build build your kingdom here in other words uh, well we know that the coming kingdom of Christ is not here yet but some of them would say well yeah we're building it now we've got or we've got to clean up the earth before Jesus can return let's clarify some of these teachings and talk more about the new apostolic reformation with Holly Pivik of Spirit of Air when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. today, oh, we're so blessed. Spirit of Error is the website, and we are so blessed to have on a discerner, a watchwoman on the wall. Um, Holly, thank you. Holly Pivik, thank you so much again for taking the time from Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska. We Before we took a break, we mentioned uh, Kingdom Now theology sounds very uh, similar to what you were describing as the build the kingdom of God here, and it's up to man to do it. Can you clarify that? Yes, so Kingdom Now theology is a strain of dominionism, and in, in dominionism, the idea is that it's the church's job to bring God's physical kingdom to earth. Mm-hmm. In the kingdom now strain of dominionism, the idea is that the, the way that is done is under the authority of apostles and prophets. And, and so this is an eschatology, a view of the end times that is often uh, post-millennial, you know, and the idea of... of um, it's the job of the the church to bring in the millennium, the reign of Christ. Hmm. And although some people who are part of the New Apostolic Reformation, such as Mike Bickle at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, he uh, would say he's premillennial. However, um, he he would still teach that it's the task of the church to work to bring in as much as God of God's kingdom as possible prior to Christ's return. There. So many of, the, of these things are intertwined, it sounds like. Um, I'm thinking of the Seven Mountain Mandate. They believe that there are seven areas that believers are supposedly empowered and expected to dominate uh, government, arts, finances, education, religion, family, and the media. Um, it, it, it sounds like we're, we're really—if if they really believe that, boy, they're doing an awful job as far as Christians in influencing, influencing these things, let alone dominating. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, so the Seven Mountain Mandate, um, uh, just by way of background, that's actually a revelation that uh, people in this movement believe that, that NAR prophets have given. Um, Lance, Lance Wallnow is, is, I think, the originator of the term Seven Mountain Mandate. He's a prophet in the movement. And the idea is that God has revealed that the way for the church to take dominion is for Christians to rise to the top of seven societal institutions that hold the most influence. Um, You know, as you mentioned, education, religion, family, business, government, arts and entertainment, and media. And they need to rise to the top of those institutions and control those institutions and but the only way for them to rise to the top of those institutions is if if some evil demonic principalities that are believed to currently control those institutions are uh, neutralized or cast out. And so that's where a teaching known as strategic level spiritual warfare. You mentioned spiritual warfare earlier. That comes in. It's the idea that um, that high-ranking demonic principalities that are believed to control institutions and geographic regions need to be cast out before the gospel could go forth with effectiveness in an institution or in a region. And so the apostles are the only ones who have the authority, though, to, to cast out those um, high-ranking demons. And so huh. people in this movement will take part in, in spiritual warfare, 
practices and ceremonies and things like that in order to, in an effort to cast out these territorial spirits or, or, or these spirits ruling over institutions. And then Christians can rise to the top of those institutions. Wow, there's so many questions I have based on what you just shared. Um, I'm thinking of the verses you shared earlier from 1 John, right in the middle there in verse 4. I I quote it often um, where it says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is in, takes residence in every believer. And they are saying only a few are selected or chosen or powerful enough to be leaders in this movement that can actually cast out these demons so that Christians can influence these areas? Did I clarify that right? That's right, and that's actually an irony, because leaders in this movement will try to say that that their movement is one that allows all believers to participate, unlike other churches, they'll say, where you just listen to a pastor preach on Sunday mornings and the believers don't can't really do anything. In their movement, they'll say it empowers all Christians to transform society and and be part of uh, the Great Commission. But the irony of it is that really it's the apostles and the prophets who who set the agenda, and, and it's only in submission to them and coming on, in line under them can other Christians really have any meaningful um, impact in the world and part in the Great Commission. So there's an irony there. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, by the way, we're speaking with Holly Pivik. The website is Spirit of Error. And one of the books we're talking about is her book on a new apostolic reformation, a biblical response to a worldwide movement. We will have the links to her books and her website in the podcast notes for today. Um, You mentioned at the top of this, actually last segment, that uh, the, the office of apostle requires traits that are really, in my understanding, not possible today. I know some uh, they were specifically designated apostles by Jesus, which you mentioned, but also eyewitnesses to the risen Christ, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Um, I just don't know how people say I'm a modern-day apostle in that sense or a modern-day prophet. When you say most Old Testament prophecies, a lot of those have been fulfilled, or they will be, many of them Jesus fulfilled, and the measure of a prophet is a, a successful or fulfilled prophecy. In other words, what they said came to pass. How, do some of these leaders that say they're prophets, let's look at the focus on the prophet um, side, are there prophecies they point to in the NAR and, and many of these leaders, quote, prophets, say, we said this and it happened? Well, for example, a really recent one would be the Super Bowl. Um, many oh. leaders in this movement so there's a prophet whose name was Bob Jones. He passed away some years ago now, a few years ago, but um, really influential in this movement. People in this movement still hang on to his prophecies about this great in-time revival that's supposed to happen under the authority of the apostles and prophets. And so recently they were claiming that Bob Jones prophesied that when the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, that's the that's the sign that the great end time revival has begun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so this was going around on Facebook and I saw everything. That. And um and so they so they do believe James Gole is a leading prophet in this movement today, very influential. Hmm. And he came out and said, Yes, I heard Bob Jones say this on a number of occasions and um I do believe because the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl that it's the uh beginning of the great end time revival. And so, so that's an example. But another thing to point out, though, is that in this movement, they teach that prophets can err and still be genuine prophets of God, hmm. and that they're not wow. held to the same wow. standards that the Old Testament prophets were. Like, you know, that we know that that what a prophet said in the Old Testament had to come true, or they'd be put to death. But they would say, no, no, we're we're under grace now. It's the New Testament. So they try to claim that prophets still have the same level of authority as Old Testament prophets on one hand, but on the other hand, they're not held to the same level of accountability, which is really dangerous. So that, they they lowered the standard. So man lowered the standard, basically, on what a prophet in the Old Testament had to live up to. That's interesting. Uh, I do want to clarify something about when we were talking about the seven areas, uh, seven mountain mandate. 
we are here for a purpose. We are here to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative. Salt flavors culture. Salt does not control culture, but light. We are supposed to be lights for Christ and shine. Um, But it doesn't say anything about controlling. Jesus never said you are to control, because we're talking about theocracy here, and then you start talking about, boy, we're not, we're not, I mean, Islam, the Sharia law would be calling for some of these things like controlling uh, politics and the economy and society and, and religion. We're, we're really wanting to point out that Christians are to be influential. Controlling these areas are, is, is quite naive, and I would love to, for you to just share your thoughts on that, Holly. Yes, uh, yes, I absolutely agree with what you just said. Um, and it's it, what's interesting about the Seven Mount Mandate is that um, it's there's just no support at all for it in Scripture. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's like it's just the, it's a complete myth that has been fabricated by leaders in this movement. Um, and the I, this triumphalist agenda that you know, Christians are supposed to be on top of all the institutions and control them. I don't see any support for that um, in Jesus's teachings. However, I do agree with you that um, being salt and light, absolutely, we are supposed to be salt and light. The problem is um, the idea that that we, and specifically apostles and prophets, are apostles are to be controlling these institutions. Uh, you know, we can find no support for that in Scripture. Exactly. Um, there's hmm, another danger, I think, is what we're seeing. I'm not sure if this is a smooth transition or not, but you mentioned Bill Johnson and Bethel uh, last segment. Their worship music that's coming out of there, of course, Hillsong, Bethel, a lot of these big churches are putting out a lot of music. I know um, the Christian music industry in Nashville tends to be a business, and yes, there are some good young Christian artists that go in with the right intentions, and they and many of them today, some of these bands that came through the 80s and 90s, uh, I mean, Mercy Me, Third Day, Casting Crowns, I mean, some of them, if you look at the lyrics, thank you, they're scriptural, and some of these other bands, but a lot of them, the worship music today really plays on emotion, really drives some sort of uh, phrase, repetition, repetition, and it it's meaningless. If you look at the scriptures, it's like, what are they saying? The, the river must flow. Well, what are they talking about? The Holy Spirit? What are they saying? So I'd love to get your thoughts, Holly, on worship music and how there's so much of it that's coming out that is, is kind of more emotion-driven, and it's not leading us to the scriptures or to the throne of God necessarily. Right, and I think, like, with the NAR uh, specifically, there's, I like to talk about how there's a spectrum with the music in the NAR. Um, Not all songs will fall in the same place on the spectrum, but I I believe they're all dangerous in different ways. And so first I would talk about there are maybe songs that are explicitly over-the-top NAR in their lyrics. Um, I don't think you hear those very often. I, Mm -hmm. I, I did once hear a song sung at a conference where the people literally were singing about God restoring apostles and prophets to the church. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) That's pretty clear. (laughs) But you don't hear those type of songs very often. Um, Like with Bethel music, Bethel music is the most popular music out there today. comes out of Bethel church in Redding, California, the most influential church in this NAR movement. Um, Jesus culture also came out of, uh, they came out of Bethel church. Um, so in these songs, what you have is a lot of NAR jargon and terminology and emphases that are laced throughout the music. They're not explicit, but um, so those who are uninitiated will not recognize these uh, NAR themes and the jargon. But those who are familiar with the NAR will recognize it. And one example, um, this song isn't actually from Bethel Church. This is Ring Collective, but I think you referenced the song earlier, Build Your Kingdom Here. Mm-hmm. Um, very catchy song. I really like the sound of it, <laughs> honestly. But but the lines in it, um, Build Your Kingdom Here, um, another line in it, Heal Our Streets and Land. Uh, that's a, that, that phrase, of course, comes from the Old Testament, but that's, a, that's NAR jargon that's used frequently. Um, the idea of bringing God's physical kingdom to earth in that context. 
Change the Atmosphere is mm-hmm. a line in that song. Mm-hmm. And for those in the NAR, they'll recognize that as a buzz phrase instantly. That has to do with uh, change, doing the strategic level spiritual warfare over a region that will change the atmosphere. And so that uh, the gospel can go forth with effectiveness. And, and I want to remind people that when I refer to the gospel, um, I'm not talking about uh, in the NAR just what, what other Christians would talk about is, is the gospel of salvation from sin, from death, um, you know, the eternal life we're promised. In the NER, the gospel has really been redefined to, to be about bringing God's physical kingdom to earth. And so, but that line there in the song, um, Change the Atmosphere, is a reference to that, those teachings about strategic level spiritual warfare. So again, the uninitiated will not, they'll just sing the song and think, oh, this is a great song about changing our nation for Christ, but they won't recognize the, the jargon in there. And then the the third type of music in the spectrum, so there's the explicit songs, there's the ones uh, that have the jargon and the terminology laid throughout. Mm-hmm. The third type of music in the NER is music that may just seem to be totally free of any jargon. Um, the lyrics seem to be pretty sound, but... Um, but just by playing that music in a church, um, the the Bethel music, the Bethel music and Bethel Reading and these places producing the music, they get kind of an implicit pass from the church leaders mm-hmm. um, that that these churches are okay if if the leaders in these sound churches are using their music, and and so that's a danger of using something like Bethel music in a in a church, even when the lyrics seem to be okay. And often, like you said, in the case of this music that may seem to be free of NER jargon, it is still often very experiential. Yes. Um, and um, and so that's a problem as well. And in the New Testament, where Paul writes about the importance of admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and we have accepted as a church, we've generally accepted almost any kind of worship music now, because it became so much, not of a business, but it really became so trendy. And it really took root in the 1990s, I think. That's when the vineyard music was coming out, and just the worship, it it was just incredible, some of the stuff that was coming out. And and I do say, and I think you might admit too, it was probably very good at first, or at least the intentions were good, to really draw closer to God and really try to bring people in a closer to the throne of God, so to speak, and in a worship and in his presence. And But now it's gotten so far out of hand to the point where we are singing. Sometimes I've visited a lot of churches, Holly, and I've seen, when I, when I say see, a lot of churches put their worship lyrics up on PowerPoint, and I'm seeing these lyrics, and I'm while I'm looking at this song and hearing the congregation sing, I'm asking, what does this have to do with Scripture, or where is this concept? And if I'm trying to figure out how is this biblical or scriptural, and people are just singing along, maybe it's just my ADD mind or something, but could you please give advice to worship leaders and pastors who maybe, don't, I'm not, don't beat yourself up if you're, if you're allowing just about any kind of worship music in your church, but could you please give advice to them on how they can be more discerning and maybe step into the the role of really going through the lyrics and the songs and who is putting out the music before they allow it into their churches? Well, I think one thing that people need to realize is that the music that's sung in a church um, can often have a greater impact than the sermon's that are even preached. Yes, and people <laughs> and remember the music pa- more. My husband is a pastor, so I say that <laughs> recognizing <laughs> that that might be hard, and I know you are as well, I, I believe, so sometimes for pastors to hear, but the music is so catchy, mm-hmm. and and the songs just get in your head, and you know, as you know, you, you just hear the lyrics over and over throughout the week in your head, and you may leave church and forget what the sermon was about. But that music will stay with you long afterwards. Absolutely. And and so because of that, it's it's crucial that those in positions of choosing the music for a church are very careful with um, the yes. songs they choose and and just looking at the lyrics and and making sure they have the support of scripture and that they line up and 
Um, and there, there are so many good songs out there that I just don't see why music leaders feel like it's important to use just the music, I guess, that's most popular um, uh, when, when they can choose you know, songs that are uh, much more sound. I agree with you 100%, and I think you you nailed it. You, uh, you, you in the what your statement, what you just said. The answer is because it's popular. That doesn't mean it's biblical. That doesn't mean it's even good or edifying. It's popular or trendy. So we've got to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Holly Pivik about NAR and other church discernment issues. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We've got Holly Pivik on the line from Fairbanks, Alaska. Her website, Spirit of Error, and we want to talk a couple more things, uh, some points about the NAR and how you can discern. First of all, Holly, how big is this movement? I know there are a lot of people that deny being part of it, but it is pretty big, but probably a lot more vast than we even recognize. Yes, it's a global movement, and it's actually part of the fastest-growing segment of non-Catholic Christianity worldwide. Hmm. Um, So a lot of the growth taking place in churches in the global south and Africa and Asia and Latin America are actually associated with this movement. Here in the United States, though, um, there are about 3 million people who attend churches that have overtly embraced these teachings, that have submitted to the authority of NAR apostles and prophets and come under their authority and just overtly embraced the NAR vision. Um, Beyond that, millions more, many millions more in the United States attend Pentecostal and Charismatic churches where these teachings are not always overtly embraced, but they've come into these churches in varying degrees. And so so many, many millions have uh, been impacted by these teachings here in the United States. Wow. Um, So how can we recognize... Some well, we already talked about the teachings and a lot of the bullet points and what they believe um, in the first two segments. But how about some buzzwords? What are there words that might be able to uh, trigger us into our discernment going up? Yeah. So of course, apostles, prophets. If you hear those terms or, or the adjectives, apostolic or prophetic, those are often clues uh, that a church is uh, maybe affiliated with the NER. Um, as we mentioned, Seven Mountain Mandate, or often they'll refer to, like, the seven spheres of society, um, bringing heaven to earth. Activation is a buzzword, because mm. the idea is that all Christians need to be activated into their spiritual gifts. Mm. And the idea is that we all have miraculous powers that are latent within us, and, and they just need to be activated by taking part in activation exercises. And so those are being taught in supernatural schools of ministry, like Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and, and other schools have been set up in churches that are patterned after Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry um, and churches across America. Uh, they're, they're bringing in these schools to teach people how to become miracle workers. Um, fivefold ministry is a buzzword to look for. Mm. That's the idea that God has, Christ gave the church five governmental offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and they get that from Ephesians 4.11, right. but they misconstrue that that passage there to say that it teaches that God intended, Christ intended for the Church to always be governed by these five offices, including apostle and prophet. Um, the uh, declarations or decrees, those are the ideas that are spoken words have the power to create reality. Wow. So the people in this movement will make decrees or declarations that they believe will bring God's kingdom to earth, they'll bring health, prosperity, these kind of things. Passion translation, that's actually a, an NER translation of the Bible that has come out. It's becoming very po- I mean, it's hugely popular, and, and not just in uh, NER churches, um, even churches that are... Uh, Pentecostal charismatic, even non-Pentecostal charismatic churches are starting to use the Passion Translation, preach from the pulpit. And basically, this translation just takes the Bible and the apostle who made it takes NAR teachings and just inserts them into the Bible to make it seem like the Bible supports those teachings. Wow. So that's definitely something to watch out for as well. And and I just wanted to mention that earlier I mentioned these teachings really making inroads into Pentecostal charismatic churches. 
Um, that's where they would find their most natural home because Pentecostals and Charismatics historically have had more of an emphasis on miraculous spiritual gifts yes. like prophesying and speaking in tongues and miracles and these things. But the teachings of the NAR movement are also making significant inroads outside of Pentecostal Charismatic churches now, just into non-denominational churches, even Baptist churches. You name it. And a lot of this is because of the influence of, like, Bethel music being used in these churches. Holly, you mentioned schools of ministry. I don't remember some of the earliest missionaries <laughs> that, that uh, did such a good job reaching entire continents for Christ, you know, China and others. I don't remember them going to a school of ministry. I'm kind of wondering, what do you know what kind of things they, they teach at a school of ministry? What, what do you need to go to a school for when you— that you can't get out of the Word, or just by being sent with support to uh, someone that needs to hear the Gospel? Well, the schools of supernatural ministry, they teach you to work miracles. And ah. so Bethel School of Supernatural Reading, um, uh, Ministry in Reading, thousands of students are enrolled there, and it's like a three-year program where students go, and they come from all over the world, but, but mm. the churches throughout America have adopted that curriculum that was developed at Bethel, and, or develop their own curriculums, and and they're offering these schools. And so you go there to learn to work miracles. And mm. sadly, Christians from mainstream missions organizations, that names we would all know and respect, they will sometimes choose to do their continuing education or, or their missionary training at one of these schools of supernatural ministry, like at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Mm. And their churches, their home churches, probably don't know the, the the missions organizations they work with. Uh, I don't know if they're aware that these missionaries are actually going there to receive their training to go back on the mission field and, and take these teachings and spread them back on the mission field. Wow. Dangerous stuff, and we've uh, kind of fallen for it, a lot of our churches. So uh, just an encouragement to pastors to really uh, be on guard. I mean, deception is rampant, and the enemy, if he could do it uh, right wide open and in your face, he, he would do it and get away with it. But oftentimes, there are things that sound good, or maybe people say they're good-intentioned. Um, you have an article on your website, Holly, downplaying the devil in NAR, uh, that you I think was from about a year or two ago. And you mentioned uh, Bill Johnson in, in Bethel Church in Reading, and it, there's a quote in there. It says that he encourages Christians to not to focus so much on our need to protect ourselves from deception— and instead, our hunger for him must be seen in our lustful pursuit of spiritual gifts. Now, the, the idea here, it goes on, that Christians should stop worrying about being deceived. That's apparently, is that, see, I, I'm asking you this because we just got done t- teaching uh, Jude and Second Peter, and is that a common teaching or thought or belief in the NAR that Christians shouldn't worries much about being deceived and focus on the gifts? Yes, it's a very common teaching, wow. unfortunately. Extreme. I could give several examples from other teachers in the movement saying very similar things to that, and I would call it almost like a brain stopper. It's the idea that <laughs> that they have a lot of teachings and little phrases like that um, that are designed that have the effect of shutting off people's critical thinking. And um, just go, just go with it. Just go with what the apostles and prophets are saying. Don't worry about being deceived, because if you're too worried about being deceived, you're not going to go with it. Wow. And um, so, wow. yeah, unfortunately, that's that's a very common teaching. And just one example, I feel like it might be hard for people to understand. Like, well, how are you trained to work miracles? <laughs> um, this is a very common prophetic activation ex- exercise in the movement, and what it is is. Somebody who's never prophesied before will be called to come to the front of a classroom. Just pick a random person in the room, someone they don't know, and just start saying whatever pops into their head as prophetic words for that person that they don't know. They're not supposed to filter. Again, this relates to the teaching about not being afraid of being deceived. Whatever thoughts pop into your head, don't filter them. Just say them as as wow. prophetic words for that stranger you don't know. And and this is one way that's very common that people are being activated into having a prophetic gift. 
Wow, what if the first thing that comes to your mind is yabba dabba do? Oh, that's a, that's of God. <laughs> exactly. Well, oh there, yeah, people who have been part of this movement will say, you know, that the first thing that came to my head was really strange, but I thought I wasn't supposed to filter it until I said it. And then people just looked at me like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And it's like, well, that's your problem, you know, because because they would say their job is just to give the prophecy. It's up to the person receiving the prophecy to figure out how to apply it. Wow, what uh, it, that is an interesting concept because you want to be people want to consider themselves open minded, right? And we're supposed to just go with it. And when you think it, it was it my mind or is it the Holy Spirit? Just go with it. Well, I don't find that in God's word. I know we also don't find where we're supposed to empty our minds and, there's, and just meditate on a single word and repeat it over and over and over and over. Is that some of the things they teach too? They, they um, definitely, some of the, the practices you would see, like being promoted, um, uh, you know, com- contemplative spirituality and those practices have definitely found a home within uh, um, NAR mm-hmm. churches as well, yes. Exactly. All right. Well, I wish we had more time, Holly. It was so great to have you on. Holly Pivick, Spirit of Error. Her book is A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement. God willing, we'll have you on back in the near future, Holly. God bless you. Thank you again for all the important work that you do. Oh, thank you so much, David, and bless you. Thank you. Um, so, so good to get into some of these, uh, the details and the information on how we can be more discerning and learn what other movements are teaching. And some of it might be surprising, guys, but it's out there in our churches, I should say. When we come back, we're wrapping up today's show. I'll tell you about the guests the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Wow, I hope that was a blessing to you to have just an expert on the NAR, Holly Pivik of Spirit of Error. I hope you enjoyed it. We will uh, definitely be sharing this podcast, as we always do, and encourage you to do the same on social media. Help us out. Help us get out there. Help the information get out there to warn and, and encourage and inform and equip more saints, more Christians who uh, need to hear some of this. Tomorrow, Dave Wager's in with Crash. Wednesday, Linda Harvey of Mission America, and you'll hear another first-time guest on Thursday, Allie Anderson. She's got a book out about millennials, and we'll talk about that on Thursday. Friday, it's, of course, Valentine's Day to those who celebrate it, and it's news and views. We'll give you some commentary on so much in the recent news. I mean, the, the news never stops. It just seems like there's always so much to talk about. So, We'll try to do that maybe once a week, uh, probably depending on how many guests we have. We get a full calendar um, once every week and a half to two weeks. We'll try to do at least a couple segments, maybe a whole podcast, where we can just talk about what's happening in the culture, in the country, in the world. Of course, last night, another awards show. I don't remember what awards show it was, uh, but there was an awards show in Hollywood last night, and we'll, I'm sure we'll hear some reports on that. They seem to be getting further and further away from the conservative family values that uh, used to be on primetime television. And now, of course, they're getting more political. I wonder what they said about the president. (laughs) Uh, Do do we really know what Hollywood thinks about President Trump? Anyway, I'm sure we'll have something to talk about there as well. Well, thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful day. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.